The weather's getting warmer, the siren call of the beach is getting louder and when it comes to the three major European competitions, the heat is well and truly on. Can Manchester City finally win the Champions League or will the experienced and streetwise Real Madrid defy them once again? Will it be those in blue and black or red and black that take the honour and glory in Milan? Will Jose Mourinho win yet another European trophy? And will West Ham taste continental glory for the first time since the 1960s? So many questions. Hopefully, we'll have some answers for you. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Semi-finals to preview in the Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League. So let's get straight to it, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, Real Madrid against Manchester City. It's a repeat of last season's remarkable clash between the two. Real somehow won, despite being on the brink of defeat. Real have just won the Copa del Rey against Osasuna. But they are outsiders here at the Bernabeu with City 2.26 to win. But we should be used to this by now because City seem to be favourites for absolutely everything they're involved in. Yeah, they're, they're the highest rated team on the planet and, and the highest rated team by, by quite some distance too. And that's why you're getting such short prices on City to win against almost any opponent at any venue, really. Uh, we saw how the market moved in their favour, not just uh, at the Etihad against Bayern Munich, but also away in Bayern when they already had that first leg lead as well. So, you know, we kind of expect them to be pretty short, but um, yeah, it's a fascinating match. I probably fit for a Champions League final this, but we get to enjoy it over two legs. It's not a massively strong view, but um, I'd be, if I had to, I would oppose Man City at those prices. Uh, the odds at the minute suggest they got a, a 44% chance of winning at the Bernabeu, which feels slightly high um, considering all we know about Real Madrid and this competition. Uh, I know last season Man City were the strongest team over two legs uh, by a reasonable distance too, it must be said. Um, it was quite a remarkable comeback from Los Blancos. But um, I think if you sort of drill it down, um, you would say City probably have one of the best, if not the best coach in the world, probably the best forward on the planet or, or one of and arguably the best playmaker. But actually in direct comparison, Madrid don't come out of it too poorly, do they? It's Pep versus Ancelotti, Benzema versus Haaland, De Bruyne against Vinicius. Um, and actually, I think Real Madrid actually stack up pretty well in the majority of key areas. And they'll have the edge in terms of experience here as well. I couldn't believe this, but this is their 10th semi-final appearance in the last 12 seasons of the Champions League, which is incredible consistency. Um, the team has evolved a little bit. I think we'll start to see some of that evolution again on Tuesday. Camavinga probably slotting in at left-back again. Uh, he's done pretty well in the most part there. Fede Valverde probably again being used in the front three to, to drop back and, and support the midfield, and, and particularly down the right flank with uh, Jack Grealish there too. But um, yeah, Real Madrid don't lose often at the Bernabeu. Um, if you look across the last 168 league and Europa or league and European home fixtures, they've lost 21, but only nine of those were merited according to expected goals. So Madrid tend to come to the party, particularly in the big matches that matter. Uh, they've actually been Spain's strongest rated team in La Liga this season, despite what the league table says. Well, they were up until recently when they sort of took their eye off the ball to focus on the cup competitions. And um, yeah, I think we've learned enough lessons now over the past couple of years not to just dismiss them out of hand. But, you know, it's always a danger to oppose Man City. It's never going to be a fun watch when you do try to oppose them. But um, 
I was looking at City's away record in the sort of uh, the meaty sort of Champions League ties away from home. They've played nine away quarterfinal or semi-final matches away from home under Pep. They've only won twice. And interestingly, both of which came in 2021 at Dortmund and PSG, both by a 2-1 scoreline. And both were played behind closed doors due to COVID. So they've never actually won away from home in the quarterfinal or semi-final with supporters in the stadium. So this is a team... Admittedly, individually, there's plenty of experience there, but um, they're not a club accustomed to winning massive Champions League ties away from home. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be a, a comfortable watch, but I think Real Madrid plus the quarter at uh, 2.02 on the Asian handicap on the exchange, it makes you money as long as Real Madrid avoid defeat. I think that's absolutely fair enough, really. The only way we lose our cash is if City win. Um, but if you want something different... Um, it, it's quite team news dependent, so it's quite hard to pick it out right now. But Diaz, the, the lanky Portuguese guy, is the referee here. Uh, and when he's on it, he's um, he's great. He's great for cars, great for fouls. And I, I think this is a match you can target for fouls. Um, you know, tricky trying to sort of second guess Pep in particular. But um, I think we're probably going to get Carvajal up against Grealish, uh, right back and left midfield for, for Man City. It's trickier to sort of pinpoint City uh, in terms of the right flank, but we're going to get Vinicius going down there. Whether it's a Kanji or Stones or Walker, you know, very hard to, to know right now. But there's going to be potential there to sort of double or triple up sort of players to commit just one foul when you get close to sort of even money there. Um, I think that those two flanks will be uh, an area you want to sort of target, whether it's for cards or you want something safer in terms of fouls. But um, the other price that stood out to me was Vinicius to score 11 to 4 any time. Big price for a player who's banging form at home where he tends to do most of his his best work too uh, and I think for all that's been good about City down that right flank in terms of sort of moulding this new system this new form when when, when in possession I do think there are opportunities in counter-attack attacking moments and transitions to, to exploit them down that flank too and I think Vinicius is, is possibly one of the best to, to sort of exploit teams in transitions so 11 to 4 felt a big price but um for me, it's probably one to check the team news at 6.45 on Tuesday and then get quickly onto the fans market and, and just see who's playing down the right for City and who's playing uh, in the opposite flank for, for Real Madrid. Trader, tipster and renowned Samba champion Emmett O'Keefe is with us once again. Emmett, Vinicius and Rodrigo looked amazing against Osasuna in the Copa del Rey final feel like Rodrigo has been good for a long time, but he's really starting to make that leap and he's starting to get close to the levels Vinicius Junior can hit. How does City deal with them? Because I know they've brought in this new system that has made them look more solid, but there are gaps there to exploit. Absolutely. I think it's it's kind of vindication of Real Madrid's transfer policy in the sense that they've the chances they took on Rodrigo and Vinicius when they were young and kind of saying, if we can kind of get the best young Brazilian talent I think at a kind of a young age, that's probably our best route of being competitive with the kind of Premier League clubs in terms of Vinicius, whatever the money they paid from, he's now one of the one of the kind of best young players in the world. And and Rodrigo, as you said, is kind of not far away from that. Um and I I, I totally agree. I think we haven't I think City Pep's been right, understandably loaded for the kind of system change, but I think we haven't seen it kind of fully tested against really top-level opposition. And just that, that was the the issue against when they play. They were quite fortunate to get a one all draw at the Allianz Arena in the last round. Obviously, they were three 0 up from the first leg. But even still, Kingsley Coman, Kingsley Coman was absolutely dominant in that game. He was killing them, uh, killing them on the counter attack. And actually, 
it was on the other flank, Leroy Sané, it was a terrible game and he kind of missed quite a few chances. I think if Vinicius and Rodri could really get going, I think there's an opportunity to hurt City in transition. The other weakness in the team, I've had a nagging doubt all year. I just think Rod- Rodri and Gundogan aren't the quickest pair again. So I think it's just, if Real can set up those kind of chaotic situations, I do think they, I do they can, think they can have some joy there. I had the same the same bet lined up as Mark. I think City just look a little bit too short for 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 how good this Real Madrid team and how talented it is, and they have the wide players to kind of expose City. Like in previous years, even last year, I thought Kyle Walker was excellent against Vinicius and kind of gave him one of the hardest matches he would have had all season. But are we getting the kind of peak Kyle Walker? I'm not quite sure we are. Like he's we, he hasn't played as much this season. And if you're playing against Vicious Junior, you have to be up at your absolutely highest level. And it's and and I would say probably Vinicius has probably improved a bit last season. We saw him the against Chelsea when he came up against Reese James. He destroyed James in a way that where 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 whereas the previous season James had given him quite a bit of trouble. I mean he feels um, right up there with probably the top three or four players in the world, doesn't he, right now, Vinicius? Yeah, and Schlotty said it he'd a good line. He said that He's maybe not the best player player in the world. He's the most decisive player in the world. Like I, I know what he means. That like he can produce these out of the world moments that very few players can. Like obviously Lionel Messi is not quite the player he was, and Mbappe is obviously really good, but he can't quite do the kind of schoolyard dribbles where he beats three or four men and kind of. I think Vinicius could do the kind of schoolyard one on one dribbling in, in, in a way. In a way, few players can. I, I, we did it I, two minutes into the cup final on Saturday. Yeah. Just went right. I'll I'll just go past you two and and opened up so much space. Van Rodrigo and then bang, second I minute think- that one nil up. And as well, from a, from a neutral's point of view, he's a compelling watch. I think that's kind of gone out of football. Kind of a modern manager wants these kind of wide forwards who kind of cut in and retain the ball and look for. Whereas Vinicius is just an old school. I, I, I'm going to beat you one on one. There's nothing you can do about it. And I think that he makes some compelling viewing as well as being a great player. I, and as as Mark kind of outlined, just City's kind of patchy away record. Even this season, like they've. They beat Arsenal away from home, but they were maybe slightly fortunate to do that. To do that, they've lost at Old Trafford, lost at Tottenham, lost at Anfield, drew the first leg of their away tie at Leipzig, and were a bit lucky not to lose to Bayern in Munich. So, I think there's enough evidence there for me that I'm I'll be happy to take Real Madrid plus a quarter. On a kind of the more speculative end of things, though, I, I a former colleague of mine mentioned this to me, and I think that it does bear some weight. I would nearly expect to see some quite dark arts from Real Madrid when it comes to Erling Haaland. I think that I think just Haaland has the joint most cards of any Man City player in the Premier League this season with five. And I think he has a bit of a tendency to lash out. So I wouldn't be surprised if the likes of Rudiger, Carvajal and others really try and wind him up and kind of make niggly fouls and I'm hoping to get a response. So I was just I was looking at maybe Haaland Haaland to be carded at kind of four to one. I thought was a, a reasonable price if you're looking for kind of a long odds bet builder selection. Odds compiler, tipster, and Malta's answer to Franco Baresi. Mark Stinchcomb completes our squad. Stinch, what's the angle here for you? Because the guys are quite pro Real Madrid. I have to say, I I think I am too. Because every time I've tried to go against them in the last few years. You just get burned. It's just this innate understanding of what this competition requires. 
Yeah, I mean, your intro piece is perfect when you described them as streetwise. And, and um, you know, as Mark alluded to, 10 Champions League fi- semi-finals in the last 12 seasons, it doesn't happen out of chance. And things like... Yeah, that's ex- wild, isn't it? To, mm-hmm. to have got that far in that competition that often is crazy. Yeah. And the, this sort of experience angle, which is holds a lot of weight in my mind for the reason they've got there, it's just not something that generally is priced into a market. So I think that's probably why uh, it's very wise as the guys are kind of saying that despite City are the best team on the planet in, you know, based on all data, it's I don't think it's a, a bet you want to take, uh, particularly with there is the potential uh, of, uh, you know, Pep ro- ro- Roulette, as we know, uh, he has the tendency to maybe overthink things. We think back to the Champions League final against Chelsea when he lined up with no holding midfielder. Uh, Fabian Delph at left back away at Tottenham um, in the, in another season, and it's just something that uh, you know maybe he again will overthink. It, it's going to be fascinating to see if he goes with this three at the back or whether he revert to four. Um, so yeah, I just think there's there's too many question marks. And at the end of the day, if you're betting on City to win, you you know you're just going to sort of double your money. I think you can easily find a, a better. A better uh, double your money bet across uh, the multitude of, of football that we've got on this week. So I don't really want to enter the, the main market. Um, I think the guys covered it really well. And uh, I, my focus was more on some of the more niche player markets. So I, there's, a few, <laughs> there's a few things that I think people can can bet at sort of decent prices and, and really cheer on and, and enjoy in what should be like a, a really exciting first leg. And then obviously we've got the second one to come next week as well. So Obviously, as Mark says, it, it's befitting of a Champions League final. But uh, what's the great thing is we're going to see these, this match twice, essentially. Uh, and we know they've played each other a few times recently. so And they, they've sort of never failed to deliver in terms of entertainment. So, yeah, expecting something similar. Um, so the first put of call is obviously uh, Vinicius, most fouled player in La Liga. And if you look at him across uh, both La Liga and Champions League, he's fouled 3.51 times per game. So if it is Kyle Walker that lines up on the right of defence, whether it's a three or whether it's a four, I was looking at Kyle Walker to commit two or more fouls at 11 to 10. If you sort of plugged in Vinicius's um, average fouls of 3.51 per game, um, fouls that are committed against him, you get a true price of a one to six. So obviously that's not the, the correct way to price it because we know that Man City probably will have more possession. But if you were to sort of, you know, downgrade that 3.51 to, you know, 3, 2.8, 2.7 or whatever, you'd still be a long way from the 11 to 10 in my mind. So I think that's a really good, solid basis for, for a bet builder. Um, yeah, and then in terms of Vinicius uh, from a scoring perspective, just in terms of his contributions, not just goals, but assists as well. It's just been phenomenal. It's 23 goals and 17 assists this season. Wow. Which is... I mean, that's that, that, that's a pretty big chunk of their production, isn't it? 40 goals that he's contributed to. Yeah, it's just it's just phenomenal because if he's, if he's scoring, he can't assist. You know, if he's putting the ball in the net, so essentially he's almost scoring and assisting in the same game or in multiple games and uh, multiple times even. But also we know that uh, he has got a little bit of a temper, uh, as we saw on uh, Saturday night. 16 yellow cards this season for Vinicius, which is... He gets provoked a hell of a lot, <laughs> yes, doesn't he? Yes, on the I mean, pitch, off the pitch, yeah. the whole shebang. I mean, we've touched on it before, but it is worth noting that he 
does have to put up with an awful lot from fans i believe um in terms of you know yeah. racism so it's obviously shocking and not something that we would um accept in in this in no. this day and age but um, it plugs into it doesn't it because his whole mindset has had to be right i'm going to deal with all that and the way i'm going to deal with it is by beating your team that's how i'm going to do it and yeah. so he's had to develop that kind of fighter's personality and i i do think that he shouldn't have to have that shouldn't mm -hmm. be have to be the case but it is and so what we've ended up with is a real scrapper not just all his quality but he that that steel that he's got and as you say that leads to confrontation and that leads to yellow cards yeah so essentially you can back vinicius to score or assist and get a yellow card at eight to one and think that's I wow. think that's massive. I and I I know they are independent. Well, you got the Marco hair smile there. <laughs> you got the O'Hare smile. That's always a good sign. <laughs> I, I know I know they are both independent, but you, there are there there are um, thoughts that basically if one happens, the other is a potential to to happen as well. You know, if he if he scored, he's fired up. If he assists, he's fired up. If they've got a defender lead as a result of him scoring, you know, maybe he has to do some more defending. If he you know gets into an argument with the the lanky Portuguese ref, as Mark referred to, um, yes. you know, that's on his who, business card. I've heard. <laughs> who knows what might happen? So yeah, from uh, if you were doing a bet builder, quite like Kyle Walker, two plus fouls at odds against, and uh, yeah, as a as a single um bet builder a Vinicius to score or assist and get booked eight to one looks quite nice in sport what's just as important as the goals the glory the roar of the crowd yes it's the halftime break time for a breather a reset to keep everything on track in sports betting betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too like timeouts so you take that all-important halftime break or deposit limits to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18 plus begamblerware.org. Uh, we've uh, talked about bet builders a fair bit. It's worth bearing in mind that if you place a £5 bet builder on Real Madrid against Manchester City, you'll get a £5 free bet to use on bet builders as well t's and c's in the description 18 plus cgambleaware.org so if we were going to put together a bet builder stinch if you start us off what would you what would your chief selection be in there if you were throwing it in yeah i'll go for the kyle walker to commit two or more fouls at 11 to 10 assuming he starts yeah mark what would you have for us uh, I was going to go down the fouls route as well, but um, I'll go elsewhere. I think the Stinchers already made out a wonderful case for Vinicius. I was already keen on him to score. I think his price is already a little bit inflated. So I'll take the Vinicius to, to score or assist to get us a bit more on side. All nice and chunky. And Emmett, take us home. Um, I think, yeah, from the in the dream big category, I'll go with Erling Haaland to score a card. I, I do think it's it, 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 it's it, it's a very live bet. It'll give a, a fairly juicy bet builder for customers. Lovely stuff. Uh, on to the Derby della Madonnina. It is the Champions League edition as Inter take on Milan. Inter, the 2.56 favourites here. Of course, home advantage out the window. They're both playing the same place. The other thing as well is there's no away goals rule. So they're basically just playing twice and, and there's no kind of intrigue in that regard. But it's always great fun, Emmett, when these two play. And the truth is... Since Simone Inzaghi went to Inter, being the cup god that he is, they've had the edge on Milan. And 
I kind of wonder the way Milan approached the Napoli game was to say, right, we're going to try and nullify your chief threats. It helped that Victor Ossiman wasn't fully fit, of course. But that that's how they kind of approached it. I wonder if they kind of have to do the same thing here and just be a little bit like old school Milan and go defence first. Yeah, it was very much old school kind of Catalan Italian tactics against Napoli. The only problem is those tactics worked because they had the outlet. They had Rafael Leao. He he was their go-to man. Again, I talked about kind of schoolboy football. His run, um, his run to create Shearer's goal in the semi-final. Secondly, was quite around the schoolyard where he's beaten three or four men and doing things that probably only he and Kvaratskhelia can 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 actually do in Syria. And he went off early on at the weekend with a thigh injury. And to be honest, if he's not fit for both legs, if he doesn't play, I think Milan are probably dead. I think he's obviously. They were briefing that they thought he was okay weren't they? They were saying it was just a precaution, but yeah. when when you have that kind of injury, you know, it's always going to be, there's going to be a bit of trepidation there. Exactly. It's not as if as well, if he's a centre-back or something where it's like you're less mobile, just he's a, he's a dynamic footballer. Like, so I think that's just, that. It might, I, I would just, if you're, if you're pro Milan or you, you, I would definitely wait, wait till teams coming out. Cause I think he's in terms of players making a difference to the price he's cleared the most significant player for Milan. They've only won one game, with one win in the eight games. Liao hasn't started this season. And it's kind of, um, yeah, so if if he weren't fit, I, I definitely make Inter clear favourites. The one, yeah, the angle, I, I, I kind of, yeah, with the uh, certain uncertainty over Liao, I was kind of, I'm just a bit, bit hesitant to get involved. I would definitely lean, lean Inter, one thing I find intriguing, though, in terms of this game is Ty is just how much do you rate home advantage? Just most of the studies on home advantage would say that the biggest big, the biggest part of home, factor in home advantage is the pressure that the crowd puts on the referee and the effect that it has on his decision making. But I wonder what kind of crowd we'll have this week. Because like obviously it should be an AC Milan allocation, but you'd still expect a lot of interim fans to be there. I'd still... I had to guess, I'd say it'd probably be a 75, 25 crowd. So probably not. And and obviously, kind of inter obviously have familiarity with the stadium. So you're probably not getting the kind of home advantage that they that, that usually would expect in kind of a Champions League semi-final for either team, but obviously for AC Milan in this first leg. Um, but the thing, probably the angle I like most was probably Latoura Martinez score first. The reason I go to score first is, like again, I can see I, I guess them will play really defensively here. I think a low-scoring game is very much most likely. And Martinez has started to really hit form. He's six goals in his last six matches, and that includes two sub-appearances. He's second in the Serie A golden boot race to Victor Osman, but he's actually made a dent in Osman's kind of significant lead. And he's and he's and he, he, he currently 5-1 to one to score first. I thought that's probably a little, little bit of value. And he's setting players up as well. He, his, yeah. Him and Lukaku, that Lula partnership, is actually starting to work pretty well again. Stinch, Inter is such a strange team because every time you think, ah, yes, we can back them with some confidence, they just do something dumb uh, and miss a load of chances and end up losing to somebody awful. But in these games, I mean, you look at the Supercoppa, I know that's not the biggest game, but they wiped the floor with Milan in that game. And you look at what Milan did against Napoli, it was very impressive in some ways, but so much depended on Mike Menon just being one of the best goalkeepers on the planet. You can't survive like that for that long, can you? No, but Pioli's on fire. <clears throat> he, 
he he can find a way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's he's a big it, factor, isn't he? Because to to have won the Scudetto and then to get Milan to a semi final with a squad that you look at and think, eh, it's okay. You know, he's yeah. done really, really well. Yeah, definitely. I was very skeptical of his uh, career. You know, he's managed tons of different um, Italian clubs with barely any success. And then so to have taken Milan to a Scudetto, I think, was a was an incredible achievement. And yeah, I think um, we were expecting Napoli to have made the, the final from this side of the, the draw. So big credit to obviously to be able to knock them out over two legs. We we know that uh, in two in two legged format, generally the better team does come to the fore because you've got 180 minutes plus to, to get yourself sorted, not just one off 90 minutes with, uh, you know, a bit of bad luck that could knock you out. So, yeah, a lot of credit to, to Milan. But as you say, I think I think both teams you can't trust at all. Um, you know, plenty of times a season you think, OK, yeah, Inter are back on track or OK, Milan are back on track. I mean, Milan partway through the season were, were uh, um, abysmal. They were... Yes. They, they were went on a really really poor run and so um, when I was looking at this tie I I was looking at at the you know the enormous tie that it is Milan derby Champions League semi-final this is AC Milan's first Champions League semi-final for 16 seasons can you believe it 13 seasons for Inter you know as as a as a kid growing up you know these these two teams you associate with Champions League semi-finals so for them to have gone so long without one just think it, it increases the the pressure even higher it's obviously the first leg so everybody's going to be I think back to the walls it's going to be very low block uh game I mean it's kind of um envisaged by the price of under two and a half goals it's, it's less than eight to 13 so I think I'm just gonna it's going to be a a very scrappy encounter with with plenty of fouls. Essentially, um, I looked back over the last few head-to-head -head matches. Basically, I decided that uh, I would try and make this as I can't find like a, a really decent bet in the in the main markets. I thought I'll try and make it exciting um, from a betting perspective and choose loads of niggly players to to pick up yes. fouls. Loads of violence, excellent. That's so I think I think I've I think I've uh, I've done quite a lot of research. So I think I've landed on f um, a few that should give us a good run for our money. So I'm picking three players to commit two or more fouls at five to one, which I think is I think five to one's quite nice price um, based on the fact that we, as I say, not asking too much for these players to commit two or more fouls. So the the three players are Latiro Martinez, Kalinoglu, and Tonali. Now, if you look at Martinez, he's committed 11 fouls in this matchup over the last five meetings. So clearly, he uh, you know he gets up for it. Kalinoglu's committed 10. So again, another player that uh, likes to stick his foot in uh, and maybe kicks a little bit more in these matches. Well, he can't and tackle sa either, Chalanoglu. <laughs> so I think that's a big part of it. He tries to tackle, but he ends up nailing people. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, he's a number 10, but obviously he plays more of a sort of a number eight or even a cross between an eight and a six. He's asked to do a lot of sort of holding midfield to allow Barella and Mkhitaryan to go forward at times. So I think he's not used perhaps in the best way, but, you know, maybe um, the sort of jack of all trades comes into it a little bit. And then Sandro Tonali hasn't played across these five matches, but in the last two, he's given away seven fouls. Um, so 
and and if you look at these three players for their respective clubs, they're both they're both in the top four for fouls conceded this season. So they like to foul anyway, but then they seem to foul a little bit more when they when they play against their their rivals. And as I say, it's an enormous match for both teams that are synonymous with uh, Champions League success. Yeah, Mark, how do you see this one going? Because the, people tend to find in Italy that Inzaghi is this incredible puzzle whereby he came close to the Scudetto last season, but obviously they, they didn't quite get there. Milan won it instead. But he had cup success at Lazio. He's had cup success at Inter. They're in the Coppa Italia final again. Reaching the semifinals of this was not expected at all. And so you have to give him a massive, massive amount of credit. Yeah, you do. He's a bit of a, a cup specialist, really. And I think there's a great opportunity for Inter to, to reach a Champions League final, um, particularly if Rafael Leao is uh, deemed unfit for this first leg. Um, I think the home advantage question is is always yeah, curious because it is obviously blurred with um, both teams playing in the same stadium normally. But um, I do think it does give Milan a little bit of an edge here. But um, I've just not been massively impressed by them in Europe. I, I know they got through the Napoli test and they defended very, very well. For a lot of that, um, Mike Mignon made some really crucial saves as yeah. well. But I think in the last, well, if you look across the the knockout stages, they've only conceded one goal. Now, Spurs didn't test them whatsoever. Uh, and Spurs actually, were dreadful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Absolutely man, appalling. I was at that second leg. It's one of the worst performances in any competition ever. They were mm. so timid, so tepid, so awful. Sorry, Spurs fans, but you know it's true. Many of you <laughs> there, it was really, really bad. It was desperate. And um, yeah, even the Napoli game, the second leg, when uh, Leal obviously did that that run to, to set up Giroud, you're screaming at one of the Napoli players just to take him out. Uh, just take a yellow card. I don't know why it didn't happen. But, um, we know what type of coach you'd be, don't we? <laughs> well, I was on Napoli, so that'll probably explain it. But um, yeah, they've conceded just one goal in the last six Champions League games. But um, that was the 93rd minute goal that Napoli got in the second leg, but I think the underlying numbers paint a different story. So whilst the shots and shots on target conceded, you know, are pretty kind of expected. It's 6.8 expected goals conceded in those six games. Now, on an average per game basis, that's not actually too bad at all for, you know, four games involved in the Champions League, knockout stages and two in the group stage. But, um, you know, across all six games, to concede one goal from 6.8 XG, you know, suggests that there's um, a bit of variance going in their favour. I'm not going to say they've been lucky, but it is a little bit unsustainable. Uh, Manuel's been incredible for the most part. So, you know, how That's long can key, that continue? Right? Him coming back to change their season. Because oh, Tati oh, yeah. Shanu, bless him, um, <laughs> he's just nowhere near as good and nowhere near as commanding, nowhere near as inspirational. You know, he's just a solid backup journeyman keeper, but Manuel's elite. Yeah, yeah, he's probably going to be one of the best goalkeepers in the world if he's not already. But uh, Inter, I mean, I opposed them uh, throughout the knockout stages so far. I wasn't impressed against Porto, but I thought they managed the tie against Benfica really, really well. And they've not had the easiest route either when you consider the group that they've come through. So they've actually looked quite strong defensively with three clean sheets and four knockout ties. And, you know, you look between the sticks there. Andre Anana's had some uh, really starring roles and... You talk about the cup success. I do think they are a big, a big game team. This this Inter, Inter Milan side. Some of the matches they've lost in Serie A are against the dross. Really, when they do play the bigger teams, they tend to come to the party. They've beaten Milan the last two times they've met without conceding. Turned Napoli over when Napoli were kind of flying high, and admittedly after the the World Cup break, but ousted Juve in the Coppa Italia semis over two legs and managed that tie really, really well. And of course Barcelona in the group stage. I thought they were brilliant. So I do give them the edge, but the price is 
are already pretty well you know in favor of inter so in terms of sort of a, a best bet i was looking at under two and a quarter goals just because i think it allows a bit more to get on your side you're not reliant on inter to win the game to get paid you can get paid with a nil nil a one one a one nil or a two nil either way you might not get a full stakes pay payout but you'll get some sort of profit as long as there's not three goals or more and i, I tend to agree with the guys i think this will be tight tetchy feisty low scoring uh, and italian football has taken a bit of a sort of small step backwards in terms of goal production this season and if you look at inter's last nine against top six teams six have gone under uh, as did both Coppa semi-finals against juventus uh, 11 of milan's last 14 in the league have gone under as well we mentioned the Spurs tie being dreadfully dull uh, and they kept Milan at bay for the most part as well. So both teams know how to defend. Both teams have a rock solid goalkeeper in place. And I just think the pressure of this tie will you know, dictate that this will probably be a bit, of a, bit of a bit of a scrap, actually. So, yeah, it tends to agree. Fouls would be the way to go. Cards, low goals. Um, but another price that stood out to me was... Um, He's already been mentioned by Hakan Chalanoglu to have a shot on target. It sounds like he's going to start instead of Marcelo Brozovic in that midfield. It's 10 to 11 for him to have a shot on target. It's landed in eight of his last 10 starts for Inter, including last midweek where he scored another worldie against uh, Verona from distance. And I do think in a tight match, um, when defences are defending quite deep, um, you're more likely to get shots from distance. And yeah. he's the kind of guy you want on the ball for that sort of effort. So, so good, um, so good so, yeah. from distance. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, you know, remarkable. throughout his career, um, you kind of not you're not massively impressed anymore. Like, I've seen that before from, <laughs> yeah. from him well, too many times. When he scored, what was it? He scored a free kick for Hamburg against Dortmund from 40 meters out a few years ago. They always play it on like the compilations, the best goal compilations in the Bundesliga. So when you've done that, when you're basically a kid, <laughs> everything <laughs> after that isn't quite as impressive. But yeah, he is still a really decisive player. Uh, On to the Europa League. Jose Mourinho has already won the Europa Conference League with Roma. He's looking to win uh, major European trophies in back-to-back seasons. Stinch Roma up against Leverkusen at the Olympico. There have been signs that Roma are picking up lots of injuries, bit of fatigue. Roger Ibanez seems to have had his brain melt. He keeps making terrible mistakes. Um, This is a really tough one, potentially, for Roma. But then... Every time you go against them in a big European night at the Olympico, they seem to come through. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky, but I think you outlined it quite well and maybe didn't mention how well Xabi Alonso is doing at Leverkusen in his first managerial gig. Um, you know, Leverkusen seem to have added some consistency. There still is the odd, you know, they lose when they're four to six away at Augsburg. But they lost to Gem- Köln. On, fri- on Friday. Admittedly, that was a local derby and Kellner a bit awkward, but that was a bad result, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to allow Davy Selkie to score a couple is criminal, I would, I would say. It's a relegation. Um, Get them out of the league. But they, as from what I understood, they asked the match for the match to be moved to yes. Friday night because right. there was already uh, Mainz v Schalke, which was uh, incredible, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, in the 12th minute of stoppage time. <laughs> So good fun. So for them to move the game to Friday says there's a, obviously a huge focus on this this semi final yeah, Thursday. You know, you've got almost a week to prepare. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think you kind of alluded to. It. I'm I'm in agreement with you because Roma here are 11 to 10, and I think it's a little bit short when you consider that the odds are kind of 50 50 on who qualifies. So 
I, th- I think it's a big ask for for basically Roma to be eleven to ten in in the home leg. I mean, if they're if if it's fifty fifty, you'd expect them to be more like thirteen to ten. Um, and when you consider that under two and a half goals is is quite short at four to six. It's not something I would uh, back, but certainly I wouldn't want to oppose it. Jose Mourinho, European semi-final first leg. It, you know, it's got all the hallmarks of a low-scoring game. Um, but as as we know in, in betting, when you have a low goal expectancy, the higher the chance of a draw is happening. So I feel like the again the Roma eleven to ten. If it was to be thirteen to ten, arguably could go a little bit higher with the with a low scoring game. So yeah, essentially my bet here would be to back Leverkusen plus half a goal around about one point eight on the exchange. So basically, you're backing Roma not to win. And what Leverkusen do have is a big threat on the counter, guys like Frimpong, Diaby, Vietz real mix of speed and and smarts there so interesting to see how they do mark that's the thing isn't it because jose Mourinho will know that he will know all about leverkusen he'll know what they're dangerous at and so we'll try and cut down those counters as much as he possibly can this could be really grim viewing actually couldn't it thinking about it uh yeah it could be um i kind of in agreement with, with stinch i want to be with with buyer um i've been really impressed um i'm not sure well, you're right. I mean, Leverkusen are a tremendous counter-attacking team. They've got pace, they've got power, they've got ability. But um, they're the kind of team I really like to sort of side with um, in terms of a kind of counter-attacking unit away from home in a knockout tie, particularly when underdogs. And I think Alon- Alonso's job has been incredible, really. He took over when they were second bottom. He's got a 50% win rate across all competitions. Uh, three of his eight defeats came in his first six games. And Actually, they've been the third best team in Germany uh, during his tutorship in terms of points earned. Already they're the third highest goal scoring team. They've beaten Bayern. They've beaten Leipzig under Alonso. They're undergoing a, a great unbeaten run before Friday night when perhaps they were a little bit distracted. And if you look at their Europa League performances, they've won all three away knockout ties, scoring nine goals. So they're not going to fear going to Roma. And I don't think there is much to fear about this Roma team, in all honesty, because I feel Roma underperform when they're expected to put on a performance against the big boys. I think they're pretty flawless domestically against the lesser lights, but when it comes up against the big boys, uh, they tend to suffer a bit of stage fright. I know it's not been Yeah, that's been an issue for a while, actually. That was an issue before Mourinho got there, wasn't it? I think under Fonseca, they had that issue as well. They just couldn't get it together at all against the big hitters. Yeah, it's hard to kind of put your finger on it, but it feels to me like there's some sort of mentality issue ingrained in the club um, and they need to sort of get over that next hurdle. But uh, this is a tricky tie for them. And uh, I found it difficult. Um, I would edge towards Leverkusen, but there wasn't any price there, but it really stood out to me. So I thought the 23 to 10 on Florian Wirtz to, to score or assist is just too big a price. Um, big. Cannot believe he's still only 19. He's already recovered from an ACL and the impact he's made since he's returned has just been phenomenal, really. Three goals to assists in the knockout stage already. He's created the most chances of any player in the Europa League knockout stages this season. Um, his return um, has been, you know, had a huge impact on Leverkusen. I know other players have kind of stepped up under Alonso, but uh, the points per game without him, 1.41 in the Bundesliga. The points per game with him, 1.85. He's a superstar in the making if he's not already, really. So um, I expect him to, to cause trouble to the Roma team over two legs. But uh, yeah, that price just felt a little bit too big. Emmett, what do you make of this one? Yeah, similar to the lads, very, very close to call. The one I think interesting thing about Rome, I think, is that they're just how much they're underperforming their expected goals for. They've conceded, they've actually scored 13 less goals than they should based on their chances created, which is by a margin the most any any team in Serie A. 
has yeah, done. Tammy like, Abraham's had a tough season, hasn't he? Because last yeah. season, all the chances that were flying in last season are flying wide or being saved this season. Exactly, yeah. And like, um, the num- obviously, a numbers person like myself would say the finishing is a bit random and each kind of chance, it, you could have to take in isolation. But the and that's the thing about confidence is that it's not like it's not it's not like blackjack where every every hand is literally the same. Then with football, there's a bit of emotion. So like if a striker's had a bad run of finishing and he doesn't have bulletproof confidence, he might he, he might be less likely to score his next chance because of what's going to happen before. I think that and we so we have seen that with, with kind of Abraham this season. Um I just would say that I think well, by underlying numbers, Rome were the third best team in Serie A. So I do I think that's probably slightly better than where Leverkusen are at. But, uh, but I would say probably, I think Alonso and Leverkusen's style of play is a bit slicker, a bit more modern. Um, so I, I kind of, it's, I, I think, I think, I think it's really, really finely poised. And I'll, I think I, I, I'd only be able to take, take a watching brief. I think the kind of evens on both teams to qualify looks looks pretty fair to me. Remember, we'll have previews of all six European semi-finals on our website, betting.betfair.com. Juventus take on Sevilla in the other semi. Juve, the 1.79 favourites to win the first leg in Turin. Mark, I've got to say, Juve feel like justifiable favourites here. I know Sevilla have stabilised under Mendilibar. They're not going to go down. I get all that. I just don't think they're very good. Like they they should have been blitzed in that first leg by United, and they somehow United decided to get the clown cars out in the last few minutes, and then United went to Seville and just completely melted for some reason. I just don't think Seville are that good. Yeah, I, I'm not sure Juventus are that good either, to be honest. Um, no, but maybe won... less bad than <laughs> probably. Yeah, they're probably more assured in this kind of environment. They've, but they have only won three games in the last ten across all competitions, and. Just when you start to think top four is it's kind of under lock and key when they get their points back. They're eliminated out of the Coppa Italia pretty limply. And there's rumours that there's player unrest with Allegri, his style, his coaching, his tinkering. Um, but they have obviously went and gone to, to Bergamo at the weekend and beaten Atalanta. And, yes. and Vlajevic is back scoring, which is a huge relief because that's been my big issue with Juve and siding with them in big matches really is there's no standout striker who's scoring goals consistently. They've all come in, tried and failed, basically. And I think that's an issue when you're a low-scoring team who kind of relies on on sort of um, small-margin victories, really. So, Are you surprised by how badly he's done? And that's not to have a dig at him, but it, but it hasn't worked, has it, so far, really, with Vlaovic. And he went there and he thought, wow, this could this could be really good. He might, I know he's playing for an Allegri team, but you'd still think he'd score more than he has. Yeah, um, you've seen him a few times. He just looks like he's completely lost confidence. Uh, I haven't seen the last couple of games from Juventus, but um, when I had seen him earlier this calendar year, it had been quite sad, really. And I wonder whether that's um, kind of part and parcel of him playing under an Allegri team and just getting off to a, a pretty slow start. I know he scored in the Champions League, didn't he, on his first appearance, but it, things went pretty, you know, nosedive pretty quickly thereafter. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's a tricky one to sort of solve, but... Um, that's always my issue with Juventus. In terms of Sevilla, um, yeah, they're not a great team, but it's just nice to see Mendilibar actually getting a, a tune out of a big club because he's always kind of been that sort of lower, lower reaching clubs yeah. playing the underdog role, and he's played it really, really well. So he's got an opportunity. He's turned the the Sevilla you know, coach around. That they're actually kind of competing pretty well. I know they got blown away in away matches with Barca and Atleti, but 
No, this is their competition. Um, the last four times they've played in the semi-finals, they've gone on to win the competition. So they'll fancy their chances. They'll be highly motivated. This is their opportunity for Champions League football as well. So, you know, it is tricky. Um, in terms of a, a price, in terms of a bet, I've got no massive view in terms of the 1x2, the handicaps. They're probably where, where I probably assume they would be. But um, I don't have the referee's details. But I think the uh, Juventus right side and Sevilla's left side could be... Uh, you know, it could be quite exciting to watch. It could be a good bit of a thrilling um, head-to-head here because Is Pedrado this our friend should... Acuna again? <laughs> I was getting to him. But <laughs> Desquilio's injury means Cadrado will probably start there. Uh, he's a hothead at the best of times himself. But uh, yeah, he could be up against our old pal, Marcos Acuna. That should Love be a, a wonderfully touchy <laughs> head-to-head. If it's not Acuna, it could be Alex Tellez. So still, it will still be quite fun to follow. Uh, and yeah, fouls, fouls, fouls. So um, you can get Acuna and uh, Cadrado both to commit two or more fouls around 3.8 uh, in terms of a bet builder. Um, but also there'll, there'll be a couple of others you can chuck in as well if you wish to. But um, this will be one of the bets. It's not up yet, but this will be one of the games where we take both teams to commit a foul inside the first 10 minutes. If Emmett and his team are kind enough to give us four to five or more, uh, we yeah, shall Emmett. oblige. <laughs> <laughs> Sheepish look there from Emmett. Uh, Acuna is definitely one of those guys, right? If you left him in a room alone with a big red button in the corner and you said to him, don't press the button, whatever you do, don't press the button. You leave the room within 30 seconds, I guarantee you, he's pressed that button. Um, Emmett, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Because Juventus feel like old school, sneaky Juventus, like the way they dealt with Freiburg. They were just far too streetwise for Freiburg. They managed to get past Nom pretty comfortably over the two legs. And they do just feel like an Allegri team that's capable of sneaking through these ties and then suddenly, oh, they're in a final. How did that happen? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's like the, it's kind of, I think that kind of football as well, it, it, it can just about be successful at the kind of the Europa League level. I feel like it's kind of, whereas against the really better side, it's really hard to sit back and kind of expect to soak up pressure and kind of, but at this level where you maybe don't have teams with quite a good forwards, you can kind of get away with it. Um, the one thing I think just often when I'm kind of doing ratings or kind of trying to see how good teams are, one of the hardest things to do is when a team is a complete kind of about face when there's a change of manager. We think that with Crystal Palace recently, how do you weight the form under Pat Vieira with the kind of all singing, all dancing, uh, Pep to go down, Roy Hodgson. Yeah, ever yeah. existed, you mean? <laughs> yeah, so so it's, we've seen it with Sevilla. In, in their last, since Jose Luis Mandela Bar took over from San Paoli, in, in their last seven La Liga matches, they're se- second in La Liga in points accrued with 16 points, with good underlying numbers to go with it. Whereas previously, under San Paoli, they were kind of a relegation level side. And then just if, when, when, when United you know, drew them in the Champions League, I, to be honest, I was pretty dismissive. I was talking, I was kind of saying to the lads, oh yeah, Lisbon might be a great away trip when we make the semi-final. Um, I think that. we all were, weren't we? Yeah. Didn't we all look at that matchup and think, well, Sevilla aren't the team they were. United should get through this. Yeah, I just, looked, that. I just, when I looked at their starting level, I was like, this actually starting level is not that bad. I do think, like, Bruno and Goal, as we saw during the World Cup, I think he's a top-class keeper. Acuna is a flawed player, but he's still a kind of an Argentine international like Fernando, Rakitic, Lamella, um, Gudej at the back, Ocampos, and then 
and, and, and Lesley is a definition of the kind of hot and cold forward. When he's on, he's a very dangerous player and one of the kind of more dangerous kind of aerial centre forwards in in world football. So I am, I am, I am kind of. I, I think this is I, this this is a kind of a tight kind of small margins tie. The bet I like the most, most though is kind of playing into that Allegri kind of traditional Italian kind of style of football. 12 of Juventus's last 15 matches have gone under two and a half goals. And I, when I was thinking, all right, so that means that if, if we're looking at on the exchange for kind of under two and a half, you might get, I don't know, one, 157, 161. And currently you're getting around 172. That looks more than fair to me. I think I think this will be a classic classic Juventus kind of approach where they're, they're, they're looking to kind of nick-nick the tie 1-0. I don't think Sevilla will be that kind of wide open either. So I think, I, I think this, I think the first, I think the first leg would be extremely cagey and happy to take under two and a half goals at a reasonable price. Yes, yeah, this might be gross. This game, mightn't it? It might be really just like, oh, <laughs> depending uh, on how they approach it, but it could be, couldn't it? I think it's it could be, but I think you've got it's difficult to say wholeheartedly because we've only got a nine-game sample size from Mandelabar to work off. Yeah. But I, I do think this is a, a classic spot for an efficient Allegri result yeah. rather than um, rather than any particular decent performance. I mean, look at Juventus uh, this year, 23 matches. They, they've only conceded 11 goals. Emmett referenced the, the unders there, but it's mainly be driven by the fact that they, they're keeping them out the back of the net and when and when they are expected to win in 11 matches where they've been odds on they've won 10 of them so it, it's been it's been very very efficient from Allegri I mean Mendelabar give him his due it's been incredible across the the nine games one six drawn two only lost one um a lot of credit they've won at odds of 11 to 4 13 to 5 19 to 10 15 to 4 so a lot a lot of credit uh I think is uh, should be given his way, um, but I can't overlook the fact that Sevilla were nine to one at United, and now they're less than half the price. And so Juventus are here are around about eight to eleven. So just kind of tailing off onto Emmett's unders, I was just going to be greedy basically and increase Juventus's eight to eleven to six to five by backing Juventus to win an under three and a half goals. You know, first leg. Of a of a European semi final, uh, generally are low scoring, so just an alternative to under two and a half there. West Ham can rescue a disappointing season by winning the Europa Conference League. They have Dutch club RZ blocking their path to the final, the first leg at the London Stadium. Emmett West Ham as short as one point six three to win here. My initial feeling was, oh well, RZ are quite a good side actually, but then I thought. Mm, but West Ham have just beaten Manchester United. They were brilliant at Bournemouth the other day. And actually, now they're going to, they're safe, aren't they? Pretty much. So they could really go for this. The crowd will be up for it. That's probably a fair price, isn't it? I thought they were maybe a touch short, but I, I do kind of, I am wary, as you say. I think the West Ham are better than their results. I think we've kind of said that all year that West Ham are kind of a more of a mid-table side by XG and we're kind of starting to see them, their kind of results finally match up to those kind of figures. Um, yeah, I, I was at the misfortune of sitting through West Ham's as a win over my idol last night, but I, I have to say I was really impressed, especially I think they're building the counter-attack. They're, they're kind of starting to find, I think, real cohesion in that in that unit with Paqueta starting to play well. 
Bowen sitting form, Antonio had one of his better best games this season at the weekend. I thought he was just destroying United centre halves on the on the kind of counter attack. So I think West Ham are in, are in quite a good place, but I, I would I think they they do look they do look a bit shorter. I, I probably wouldn't include them in any, any of your Q matters. I do respect Alkmaar having knocked out. I think Lazio would have been close to probably the best team in in, in, in the tournament. Kind of a few rounds ago, I would have said, and and they knocked them out playing some play some pretty good football. It, it wasn't necessarily that they fluked that tie. That was like that that was a fair victory. So I, I would respect them. Just if you're looking at it for, I just thought it was a slightly big price this game. Is Declan Rice score any time at seven to one? Just he was if he was noticeable in recent months and at the weekend against Man United that he's Moyes has given him a license to play kind of higher up the pitch. And is that just, because he, of Pakitar? Because Pakitar's been playing deeper and playing well. Yeah, do you think that's why they're releasing him a bit? More? Or or was it uh, Graham Souness and Roy Keane's criticism? He doesn't get enough goals and assists. Uh, one one of those uh, <laughs> maybe one of those tactical geniuses given the inspiration. No, I'm with you. Isn't it? It does make sense because we've seen Paqueta have the kind of a he he played in that deep lying role for Brazil uh, in in kind of in, in the World Cup and in qualifying. So it it, it really does it kind of does make sense. And I think as we as we seen Rice has a lot to offer high up the pitch he's a superb footballer and he's he scored actually in the second leg of the of the, of, of the last round and I think he's probably his goal score price is probably a bit more reflected of the kind of position he used to play in so I think at a, at a pretty big price that's the way I'd look Stincher, I sometimes wonder I think I, I'm a little bit guilty of this sometimes that I'll look at a tie, and because I know RZ and because I've watched them a bit, you kind of get a little bit excited by how good they potentially are because you go, well, I know them, I've seen them a fair bit. But then when you strip that back and look, the quality gap should be quite big here, shouldn't it, really? So a West Ham kind of justifiably that short? I think this is one of the age-old questions is how do you convert Eredivisie ability to world ability? Yes. I, I think it, that's the that's a di- difficult one because as Emmett rightly points out, you know, they knocked out Lazio, who have been fantastic this season in, in Syria. But then, you know, then they lost 2-0 away and elect in, in the in the first yeah. leg. And it's like... They're rubbish. Yes. <laughs> so it, it's so hot and cold. But I think that's what you get, particularly with a team... That is quite youthful. Um, probably worth pointing out. They actually, they've actually won the uh, UEFA Youth League uh, Z. Um, so it just goes to show that uh, you know that there is kind of their their model. Um, for me, I, I think I, I think basically um, this is a great time for West Ham to be playing RZ. One because West Ham are in great form, and they seem to have um, not have any too many issues um, injury wise. And RZ do have a few injury problems, particularly in the offensive areas. Uh, Jens Odegaard and uh, Jesper Carlsen are both big doubts, uh, 12 and, and 10 goals respectively. And um, if you look at West Ham, if you take out the, the top three in the, in the Premier League, they've won six of the last nine at home. And I don't think that's something you associate with a side residing 15th in the league. As, as Emmett alluded to, we talked a lot this season about West Ham have underperformed in front of goal. Um, and in, but in Europe, they've been they've been perfect. You know, they've won all six European home games, and, and their matches have seen have seen twenty goals there. Um, so that's why I'm trying to. I, I think it's difficult to find some maneuverability here because I was thinking, okay, maybe we take West Ham to win and over one point five goals at evens. But again, you know, have to remember it's a first leg. Um, 
RZ put in a uh, got a terrific result of the weekend, nil nil away. Ajax to show that they can go to the better teams maybe and hold their own. So now I was thinking, okay, maybe we bet West Ham to win an under three and a half goals at six to five. Uh, obviously, nice increase from the from the eight to thirteen, and obviously it's first leg. But if you look at their performance away at Ajax at the weekend, they were very lucky. They conceded nineteen shots over two expected goals. There was three big chances. So it just goes to show how you know how volatile uh, football results can be. So yeah, basically, I think if if West Ham were a little bit bigger, West Ham would would be the bet in my mind. But it's it's an as you as you mentioned, I think the price looks a little short considering it's a first leg and it's a European semi final. You know, there there could be there could be the fact that the the occasion gets to gets to the players and then it plays out in quite a um, you know a tense battle. Um, but I do think the stadium will be rocking um, given the result at the weekend. And you know they have they have had uh, they will have um, you know four days to prepare for it. So um, you know they're favourites to win the, the Europa Conference League, uh, West Ham, and um, you can kind of understand why when uh, it's Fiorentina v Basel in in the in the other side of the tie. Yeah, Mark, that crowd is going to be vital, isn't it? Because West Ham went out of the semi-final stage in the Europa League last season, didn't play their best football against Frankfurt over those two legs. If they have, for whatever reason, a sticky start to the game, the crowd has got to stay with them. Yeah, they, they do. I, I think they will, um, in fairness. Um, I know the West Ham crowd do often get a bit of stick for the way in which they support their club and things aren't going too well. But I think this is quite a historic occasion. You know, they've only won one European trophy in their history, which is 1965. They're not used to competing in European semi-finals, irrespective of the competition. Um, so this is a big deal for them. And I think they will get behind their team and support them, particularly after that performance against Man United, which was impressive back to front, really. So, um, yeah, I agree with the guys, really. When I looked at this first, I thought West Ham did look a little bit short, considering they're a shorter price to win this match than Ajax were when they hosted RZ at the weekend in the Eredivisie, a match that ended 0-0. I watched the majority of that match, actually, and you know, has already reeled off, off the statistics, but um, RZ were quite happy to play for a point in that. They were trying to play on the counter-attack. Didn't really manage it too often because when they did get possession back, they they turned it over almost immediately and they only managed four shots in the box. So Ajax is 15 and they've operated in, in quite a similar way whenever they've gone to the big boys in Holland so far this season. They've played all three of the big boys now away. Uh, they've lost the, the cumulative shots in the box count 9.33 and the XG count 171 to 4.78. So um, even in the away ties in this competition, their attacking threat has been relatively minimal actually they've managed no more than three shots on target away from home in any game in this competition and the two shots on target they managed away at Lazio both resulted in goals so um I think the price is probably justified because the Premier League is where the money is at is where the strongest squads are at so um I thought West Ham to win um and under four and a half goals at five to six was probably where I'd go if I had to but it's not a betting heat I really want to get involved heavily but uh, it just covers you on a range of the most likely correct scores and um yeah, I expect RZ to go there, try and try and play for something and to bring back to the Netherlands for the reserve, reverse game next week. Finally, Fiorentina against Basel. Basel sprung the surprise by knocking out Nice, but Stinch, there's a reason why Fiorentina are 1.5 to win this game. You'd expect them to be significantly superior. They were okay against Napoli at the weekend. I always think Fiorentina are potentially a very good team to watch, but just don't have that consistency. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a good assessment. I mean, they're the top goal scorers in the in the competition. They've scored 32 goals in their 12 games, which is massive, you know, 2.67 goals per game. And uh, I think the odds really reflect the difficult task that this is going to be for, for Basel. Um, they're probably going to be without key defender uh, Andy Pelmard at the back and and they have a propensity to to collapse um I think it's very really well encapsulated by their uh 2-0 home defeat to Zurich at the weekend where they had three players sent off um <laughs> and I think I think they they've just been really really fortunate to get to this stage they've conceded 16 goals in the last 10 European games they've won two penalty shootouts they've won one game in extra time and it's it's 18 games it's taken for them to to get to this stage that began all the way back in in July. And uh, yeah, I just don't think it's sustainable. But it's very well reflected by this Fiorentina 1.5, as as you say. I mean, over two and a half goals is is four to seven. So basically, the market is expecting a, a comfortable Fiorentina victory. It's not one I really want to get involved with because if you go down that route, then you're asking for Fiorentina to sort of beat the handicap. Obviously, you'd imagine they would like to take a, a, a hefty lead or a decent lead to to Basel, but with no away goals, I think, you know, on average, teams, I think, at this stage of a semi-final would be happy to take a 1-0, 2-1 lead across, knowing that the other is going to be on the other team emphasis to go forward. So... Yeah, I think if you want, if you if you're probably not desperate for a bet, but if there is something that you want to bet, maybe just back Fiorentina, sort of minus one, minus one point two five on the Asian handicap around about evens, knowing that if they do only win by one goal, you get the majority of your stake back. Yeah, Mark, a few years ago, you might have looked at this blind and said, "Oh, Bars are a decent team. They've got some European pedigree," but it feels to me like the standard of that squad has dipped so much in the last few years. They've seen Zurich win the league. They've seen young boys win the league on numerous occasions. I'm gobsmacked. They've got this far, to be honest. Yeah, they're rubbish. Um, <laughs> um, surprised they've got this far. Surprised they knocked out Nice in the quarterfinals. Surprised they got past Traps on sport in the first knockout stage. Uh, but I think we saw probably their their level really when they struggled to get past Slovan Bratislava in the quarters, required penalties on, on that occasion. And um, just incredible mismanagement at the top end of the club. How many times have we talked about that this season? But to go from their position of dominance in, in Switzerland to where they are now, which is um, closer to the bottom than they are to the top. You know, they're 11 points off the bottom of the Swiss Super League, yet they're 25 points adrift of young boys at the top. So they've regressed year on year, really. Um, a lot of their big players and younger players have moved on. Uh, their underlying metrics suggest that their mid-table position in, in the league is warranted as well. Um, uh, they don't keep clean sheets often or regularly, and that is always a concern, especially against a team like Fiorentina, who do have that attacking ability to score at will when they're on it. And um, They can talked... hurt you in loads of ways. They've got, you know, Jovic is obviously very good. Um, Cabral scores goals. They, they there's lots of firepower there, isn't there? Exactly, Ikone's one. But the one I was going to get to was, yeah. was Nico Gonzalez, who you'll know quite well as well. Um, he's around six to four to score at any time, which probably slightly shorter when I want to. So I'm waiting to see what the shot prices are like. He's had quite an injury disrupted campaign, but he's on set piece duty. And like Chananoglu, he's always a threat from distance, loves a shot. And since his latest injury, he came off the bench and had two shots in half an hour. And then his last four starts, he's had shot totals of 4-4, four, 5-5 four, 
five and two, the two coming against Napoli at the weekend. Scored just once in those four starts, but he's he's always a threat. Um, so if you can find some sort of builder involving Fiorentina to score and, and Nico Gonzalez to have a shot on target or even to cover three or more shots, um, you know, I think if the lines and prices are doable i definitely think he's a, a guy to be looking at even from his stuttgart days he's a he's a real menace he's a goal scoring attacking midfielder but he just loves to get shots away only you could stay fit he's a really exciting player just hopefully he can stay fit Emmett, what's your thought on this i, I think we're we're quite anti-basel and i think probably <laughs> rightly so yeah you know basel, basel killed me in the last round i was Mike kind of last really good anti-post battle of the year of the season was the juventus nice Europa League Conference League double at 250 to one. So they kind of wow. scuppered my hopes there. Thanks, um, Basel. <laughs> thanks, Basel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, write a strongly rewarded letter to Jim Radcliffe. Like, what's, what's the story, lads? But um, no. The, that is I, I, a I, massive mess up, by the way, for Nice. I mean, it this, is. this was there for them. I mean, I mean, they, you know, they'd look at Fiorentina, they'd look at West Ham, but they, they were in position. So to go out to Basel was just phenomenally bad. Yeah, very, very careless. Having the second leg at home, being kind of up, up, up throughout the second leg, then conceding late, and kind of being kind of, but they were kind of outplayed an extra time was all, all quite disappointing. I'm yeah, just Fiorentina. I just kind of, I was just slightly alarmed by their how they somehow managed to nearly give up. A, they were losing three 0 to like Poznan at home in the kind of second leg of the last round and just they in even in that second I think they were like maybe one to three two to five to win the match like so just I think they, they as you said there is a bit of variance with them in terms of in terms of there's kind of a there's kind of a big gap between their A game and maybe D or F game I, I think at their best I think they're probably the most talented side of the tournament and I think they're like they're currently 2.75 they're kind of a similar price to West Ham to win the tournament I'd probably have them slightly shorter. I think they might be slight favourites against West Ham in the final. I think they have a kind of an easier tie here against Basel than West Ham, than West Ham do against against Alkmaar. But I, I couldn't really recommend anything, anything for a bet. But I, I hope from a kind of a neutral point of view, we get a kind of a Fiorentina West Ham final and maybe get a decent price on Fiorentina as, as an underdog. Hopefully. Uh, bear in mind, by the way, that bet builder we gave you for Real Madrid against Manchester City, 25 to 1, that is, so nice and chunky, uh, for you to cheer on. That's all we have time for on this European edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Remember, our usual weekend previews are coming up later this week with all of your favourites, like Marco Hare's Scott Watch and the world-famous podcast Treble. Uh, lots of Eurovision preview content this week on our website betting.betfair.com I know that because I wrote it uh, so uh, look forward to that from Stinch, from Emmett from Mark and from me it's goodbye for now